It's a joy to be here with you at St. Luke's on this Confirmation Sunday and the fifth Sunday in Lent to be with uh, our friends uh, Greg and Meredith Kranz and the rest of your clergy and lay leaders. Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for your greater glory. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. There are those who give orders. Generals, governors, presidents, kings. And there are are always those who carry the orders out. Who do the dirty work. Who mop up the blood. Who pull the trigger. Who drive the nails into the palms and into the hard wood of the cross. Those who carry out the orders. And then there are those whose job it is to make sure those who need to carry out the orders get it done. In the Roman army, those whose job it was to make sure others carried out the orders were the centurions, non-commissioned officers who had worked their way up the ranks to a place of authority. They were usually men of courage, fortitude, endurance, and valor. They were, if you will, the leaders from the ranks. When Pilate, having had his fill with this whole matter of Caiaphas and the Jewish leaders, wow, that came alive, and the crowds had had his fill, He said, take the prisoner and flog him. So the soldiers, under the direction of the Roman centurion, followed out the orders. You know what you do in a scourging or a flogging? You tie or you chain the man's hands to a post about six inches off the ground, having stripped off whatever he was wearing, and you take a scourge or a whip, it's called a cat of nine tails. It is a whip that has nine leather straps coming out of it, and on the end of each strap, there is a piece of sharpened bone or metal and you whip it across the person's back 
until they cry for mercy and then you do it some more. Some Romans historians tell us that some people died during a flogging. Sometimes they died from lack of from a loss of blood. Sometimes they died from the sheer shock and the agony of the experience. But these soldiers were only carrying out orders. And the Roman centurion was just making sure they carried out orders. I suppose they could have been forgiven for doing what was their job. But the gospel didn't stop there, did it, this morning? Because our text said, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged or flogged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. But of course, it wasn't yet time to take him out to the cross roads to crucify him. So they had a little time on their hands. And the text says, And the soldiers led him, Jesus, away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And after they struck him on the head with a reed, spitting on him, they knelt down in homage to him. Well, that wasn't part of the orders. That's just a way to spend a morning doing a job you don't much like in a part of the world you don't want to be in with a bunch of people that you have grown to despise and resent. You know what we often do with people we despise and resent? We look for opportunities to shame them. It's called by sociologists social shame. You make yourself feel big and important by making someone else small. You see it on the playground all the time. Just go to a local park and watch children play and you'll see it. Oh, you can see it in other places too. But adults do it a little more subtly than that. Well, except for these soldiers, but... You have to understand, they really don't like their assignment. And before they knew it, they put some things in the hawk. When was the last time you were at a pawn shop? Last time I was at a pawn shop was in college. I went there to get my reel-to-reel tape recorder out of hawk. You know what happens when you take something to a pawn shop? I know some of you have lived a better life than I have, so let me tell you what it is. You take something that is of value and you take it down to the pawnbroker and he will give you a certain amount of money for your item, far less than it's worth, 
And along with the money, he'll give you a coupon that when you get some more money, you can buy it out of Hawk by taking the coupon back to the pawnbroker and paying him some money and you you can get your item out of Hawk. I was at the pawn shop to get something out of Hawk. But I didn't put it there. No, sorry. My brother put it there. Well, he broke into the family home when he was in his early 20s, mid-20s, in order to steal some things to take down to the pawnbroker so he could get some money for some drugs. But once he bought, got the money, and once he bought the drugs, he couldn't get any money to buy what he'd put into Hawk, out of Hawk. You know, some people put really, really valuable things in Hawk. Some very successful people have put their families into Hawk for their careers. Some people have put their marriages into hawk for a one-night stand, a fleeting moment of pleasure that put a marriage into hawk. Some people have put things into hawk over a burst of outrageous anger. And they've gone off in a moment of anger, slammed their car into another car because they'd lost control and someone was killed and they're in hawk. And some people just keep putting things into hawk for one more drink or one more prescription drug overdose. And the real deep pain is that once you put one of these relationships, marriages, or children into hawk, you can't buy it back. You can't give a pound of your blood to buy it back. And if you even try, sometimes they don't want it back. When we do something wrong, we have a sense of guilt. And a sense of guilt is that experience that we have that we've done, broken some moral law, and now we feel guilty. But there's something that is maybe even deeper still in the psyche of the human being, and it's called shame. You see, we experience guilt for what we do. We feel shame for who we are. You see, a man may feel guilty for having an affair. He may feel shame for being the kind of man who has one. A woman who goes out on a shopping spree and spends more money on jewelry and clothing than they have in the bank account And then when she comes home and tells her husband, she got it all on sale, dear. Feels a sense of guilt for having done it. 
but feels shame for being the kind of person who would lie to her husband about it. That's called shame. And sometimes we do something that shames another human being. I'm sure you've been at a dinner party sometimes, sitting across the table from a group of people, and suddenly some man embarrasses his wife. He doesn't mean to embarrass his wife, I suppose, but he does it. And you know it's taking place. Because suddenly there's an awkwardness at the table. You, you glance up and you see the redness of her face, and you recognize that he doesn't seem to recognize that it's taking place, but you've seen it and you know it. And everybody at the table knows it. And you wish it'd just go away. But it doesn't happen that way. Now let's think about these soldiers here for a moment. They don't want to be there. And the Jews are having this big festival that they don't understand called the Passover. And there there are four times as many people in Jerusalem than normally. And they are there having a good time And what about your Roman spring festival? Can't even celebrate it. But there's a game Roman soldiers know. Dio Cassius, the Roman historian, talks about it. It's called the king's game. The king's game is when the soldiers get to crown some prisoner as king and mock him. Do you know that Beneath the Sisters of Zion Convent in Jerusalem, a convent built over the old side of the fortress of Antonia, there are pavement stones that date from the first century. I've seen them. You can go down and you can look at first century pavement stones in Jerusalem. And you can see etched into the stone what looks like a letter B, but it's not the letter B, it's the Greek letter beta, which is the first letter of king in Greek. Next to it, in another square, is what looks an awful lot like a crown of thorns. If you're the lucky soldier at the spring festival... You roll the dice and it lands on the beta, the B. You're halfway there. (laughs) Roll them again. It lands on the crown of thorns and you get to crown the king. Well, I guess I won. Rufus? Go out there on the other side of that door and there's a plant growing there. Cut off a limb of that and bring it in. Now there it is. Now let's let's just make a crown out of this. Got to be careful. These thorns can prick you. Now we need to put this on the king. Now, Jew boy, if you move while I'm putting this on your head, 
It's going to cause my fingers to bleed. And when my fingers bleed, I get very, very angry. So you stand still. Oh, there. There's a king. Oh, oh. Now, we can't have a naked king. See, he's naked. We can't have a naked king. No, no, he needs a purple robe. Bring that there purple robe over here and let's put that on our king. There he is. Oh, now, now he's looking majestic, isn't he? And I suppose he needs a scepter. Oh, here, that, that'll do. Let's see if it's strong. We can hit it against him a couple of times. Now, now that we've seen that it's a strong scepter, you can hold it, king, in your right hand there. There you go. Now we've got our king, and, and now we've got to honor him. So let's just, let's get down on our knees now, men, and, and, and honor our king, the king of the Jews. There he is. There he is. Now, if you don't, my friends, recognize that what we're dealing with here is is shaming a person, humiliating a person, then you have not yet noticed what these soldiers are about. I don't suppose our centurion friend, whom history calls by the name of Longinus, did any of this but he didn't stop it and these men are under his charge and he didn't stop it I suppose we've all seen something like this going on and we didn't stop it we may have even done something similar to that ourselves but we've gone beyond that now And we're a different kind of person now, and yet sometimes these things happen on our watch. But this Roman centurion was haunted by something, I suppose. That this man, unlike anybody else he's ever seen as the butt of the joke didn't seem to let it into him. It never seemed to go into his soul, into his heart. All the shame just seemed to pass him by as if among all the mocking voices there was another voice that was speaking to him. As if his deep sense of dignity didn't come from human beings around him, that his dignity came from someplace else as if an unseen presence was there. And you and I know what that unseen presence is. Because when he first stepped into the waters of the Jordan, that was the first step towards the cross, when he came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and a voice spoke, remember? Behold, 
my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that's the voice he hears. Walk with me, if you would, for a moment, my friends. Walk with me into the barracks where the battalion has circled around Jesus and are in the midst of mocking him and shaming him and humiliating him and bring every bit of shame you carry from your life and stand beside him with it and learn from him the dignity that the Father alone can bring into your life. And in the midst of all that would shame you in life, realize you have a Savior who understands. You ever wonder why all the Negro spirituals talk about my Jesus? Oh, they know about shame. You stand on a on a block of wood to be auctioned off and sold and you know about shame. And so no wonder when they, these slaves came to faith they, they realized there was one who understood. And they talked about my Jesus as if my Jesus was there with them and he was. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sometimes it causes me to tremble. But it's just not the African-American who's no shame. You and I know it. Because we experience it in our lives. Stand beside this Jesus. And let his dignity be conveyed to you. Oh, but it didn't stop there. Because after this little interlude that didn't come down from orders from on high, but came down from, came from out of the sin of sinful soldiers who are no, more, no different than you and I, then the order had to be fulfilled and he takes up his cross and he carries it out be crucified and that's where the real shaming's done Roman, Roman historians talk about the shameful cross the instrument of humiliation you always did it in a prominent place up high where the crossroads come together so that everyone can look upon the person who's humiliated and shamed upon the cross crucified naked Oh, I know we put the loincloth on for decency's sake, but they were naked. It wasn't just to kill a person, it's to humiliate them. And I suppose it was in the Roman soldier, the centurion, put it all together. You see, he probably didn't know much about religion. He probably didn't know a whole lot about the Roman gods, such as Jupiter and Mars and Diana. He certainly didn't know much about Jewish religion, but he did know about courage. 
and he didn't know about fortitude, and he didn't know about endurance, and he didn't know about suffering without complaining and whining, and he did know about dignity. And he saw more dignity in the man on the cross than he'd ever seen in any king. And so amid all the voices of those at the scene of the cross, if you are the Son of God, take yourself down from the cross. If you are the Messiah, come down. You who saved others, cannot you save yourself? You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, come on down from the cross. But at the cross, there was one other word spoken, you will remember. And it came from the Roman centurion. Because he saw this man die like no man he'd ever seen. And he'd seen a lot of men die. And he gave us the verdict. In spite of the orders, he gave the verdict. And it has echoed down to the centuries ever since. Truly, this was the Son of God. And that confession got rid of all his guilt and all his sin and all his shame. And he left the scene of the cross a new man. We've been to the cross today, my friends. We've been there as soldiers and as centurions standing beneath it. And we have watched Jesus be humiliated and shamed and mocked for your sins and my sins. And to know your shame and my shame. And to be able to convey to each of us forgiveness for our guilt and healing for our shame. Truly, this is the Son of God. A soldier. Confess the answer to our shame. Longinus is what history, who history calls him. But I call him my friend, my brother in Christ. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Do you know that freedom? If you don't, today is the day of salvation. Behold, truly, he is the Son of God. You don't have to know all everything that that means. You just have to say it as a confession of the heart. For if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. Let us pray. 
Father, we thank you that you have so loved the world that you gave as your only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you for the testimony of the centurion at the cross who had watched more of Jesus during his last nine hours than any other human being and finally saw him through the eyes of freedom and came to a place to declare him the Son of God in spite of the orders that came down from on high because he heard the greatest orders of the Father. Behold, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Grant us, Lord, that kind of faith that we may receive Jesus' kind of dignity. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.